0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We are finally going to go down under, I swear to God. I swear to God we are. to Australia to talk to our Australian correspondents sometime in our second or third segment today, but... uh, as you might imagine there's occasional technical difficulties in making that uh, hook up but we're going to try and i believe we're going to succeed today's one of those shows where we're going to try and play catch up and i should also add that when we have a big pile of articles clippings and the like trying to select one to to talk about we, we generally try and go with the more upbeat topic which means that after doing that we tend to accumulate a pile of more downbeat topics Today, regrettably, we may have to delve into some of those, but they are important, so we are going to address them. We're just going to try and do what we can to put a good spin on them, because who wants to be depressed, eh? Not us. But before we get to that, let's start the show as we like to do, with, on this date in history, the date in question being the 6th of June. And of course, we should note that of all the things that happened on this date, undoubtedly the most momentous had to have been... June 6th, 1944, the D-Day invasion that helped end World War II in Europe. 150,000 troops of the Allied Expeditionary Forces stormed the beaches of Normandy, France to end the Nazi reign of terror over Europe. Of course, the true story is D-Day was basically the Second Front. The war on the Eastern Front had been going back and forth for quite some time, actually since 1942. And it would be later claimed by Stalin and the communists that uh, the Allies waited as long as they possibly could before opening up that second front, which we tend to think is probably not true. Looking back on it, of course, it's hard to imagine that Roosevelt and Churchill were too upset about Stalin and Hitler fighting it out. Nevertheless, it was clearly decided that uh, the Nazis were by far the greater evil. So Joseph Stalin became our ally. Said to note, a recent survey of high school students asked them some basic history questions, such as, who was the U.S. allied with during World War II? A depressingly substantial number thought we were allied with Germany to fight the communists. Which is one reason, dear listener, why we try and started every program with a look back at historical events to try and maybe clarify a few things. But anyway, D-Day wasn't the only thing that happened on all of the June 6th uh, of history. On June 6th in 1916 in the U.S., New England experienced a 10-inch snowfall during what was called the year without summer. Weather patterns were disrupted that year in the aftermath of the eruption of the Tambora volcano in Indonesia. In fact, a series of volcanic eruptions from 1812 to 1815 threw off so much ash and sulfuric acid, which was carried up into the stratosphere and around the globe, that it blocked out a, it blocked out a significant amount of sunlight causing, among other things, snowfall in New England in June. And also a bit of a downer, this time in 1838, the forced emigration of the Cherokee Indians to the, quote, Indian Territory, unquote, in present-day Oklahoma, began. It was one of the more barbaric acts of cultural and territorial imperialism. Of the 800 Cherokee loaded into, into boats in Tennessee, which were the first group to be shipped west, slightly more than half actually reached Oklahoma. You know, Mr. Millen, we haven't talked enough about what happened to uh, the Native Americans here in the U.S. We're going to have to do that in a future program. Make a note of that, sir. Noted. All right, on a somewhat happier note, June 6, 1868, Frank Samuelson and George Harpo leave New York in attempt to row across the Atlantic Ocean. And they did it. By God, they arrived in France 54 days later, which is a lot of rowing. Speaking of volcanic explosions, on June 6th in 1912, the largest 20th century volcanic eruption altered the configuration of the Katmai Peninsula, which is the southwestern landmass in the Gulf of Alaska. It dumped 33 cubic kilometers of powdered rock into the surrounding atmosphere. Yet as far as I know, this did not cause a year without summer like Tambora did back in 1816. Well, we hope that atmospheric scientists Studying these two events, uh, well, maybe shed some light on what to do about global warming. Back in 1992, when Mount Pinatubo blew up in the Philippines, we had two or three years of some spectacularly cool sunsets here in California, as people did around the world. And in fact, if you look at the Al Gore uh, curve of rising temperatures, the whole hockey stick diagram, you'll note there was a bit of a dip in the early 90s wherein our relentless march toward higher temperatures got cooled off by Mount Pinatubo, which we are grateful for. Unfortunately, we can't count upon volcanic eruptions to stop increased temperatures. And frankly, we need an upper. So let's go to what happened on June 7th, 1965, wherein the U.S. Supreme Court removed restrictions on prescribing and selling birth control pills which had been approved by the FDA five years earlier, making this a red-letter day for family planning and, of course, sexual liberation. Our quote today comes from Cormac McCarthy, who, who said it was good that God kept the truths of life from the young as they were starting out, or else they'd have no heart to start out at all. A clip of the is from Nora Ephron, who said, Never marry a man you wouldn't want to be divorced from. Our joke of the day is that after 20 years of marriage, a husband and wife went to counseling. When asked what the problem was, the wife broke into a passionate tirade of every issue they'd ever had. After allowing this to go on for a while, the therapist got up, walked over to the wife, made her stand up, and kissed her hard in the lips. The woman shut up and sat quietly down. The therapist then turned to the husband and said, This is what your wife needs at least three times a week. Can you do this? Husband thinks about it and says, Well, I can drop her off Mondays and Wednesdays, but on Fridays I fish. We have two stats of the day. Stat A is three point seven million, as in what the US government spent last year to support former presidents paying for pensions, office support, travel, and postage. The most expensive, can you guess? Why, yes, it was George W. Bush at $1.3 million, followed by Bill Clinton at just under a million. This does not include the cost of Secret Service protection. And our stat of the day is $70 million. As in what mathematician Yit-Yang Zhang of the University of New Hampshire has proved that an infinite number of prime numbers have a neighbor that is also prime. Well, I'm not explaining that well at all. Apparently, there's a mathematical conjecture that twin prime numbers separated by just two numbers, well, there's an infinite number of such pairs. And yes, of course, this has apparently kept mathematicians up nights, attempting to come up with a proof that this must be true. Well, they haven't been able to establish that it's true that two primes separated by two numbers, exist in infinite quantity, but they have established now, at least according to Yit Yang Zhang, that there's an infinite number of primes at least 70 million apart. So I think I'm understanding this correctly. This is one reason I was not a math major. If you care to clarify what's been proven and why anyone should give a damn, feel free to drop us a line at info at and we'll do our best to straighten out this matter. New Scientist had a long essay on this, but darn it, I can't find it. As I recall, they were kind of neutral on whether it was important or not. All right, it's time. Let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. week magazine. It was a good week a couple weeks back for the love train with the news that Prague's subway system has announced plans to set aside special train carriages for singles seeking a soulmate. Yes, anyone planning a trip to the Czech Republic uh, in the future, we're keen to know how this is gonna pan out. All right, it was on the other hand a bad week last week for cheating with news that a ladder might be installed near the peak of Mount Everest. Authorities in Nepal say the latter would provide a shortcut over a steep cliff and thus ease congestion near the 29,035-foot-high summit of the world's tallest mountain. I imagine this is going over what's called the Hillary Step. When 60 years ago last week, uh, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay got up that far, they had to basically rock climb over that bit. My understanding is it's a notorious log jam now as people have to basically rope up and climb over this difficult patch. I also believe that on the Chinese side, they've had an aluminum ladder roped to a particularly difficult section now for years. And of course, it's odd that aluminum ladders are a standard piece of equipment for climbing Mount Everest. Uh, they routinely take them up the Kumbu Icefall so people don't fall on the crevasses, which, um, wow, that's not how I would like to go. Well, we would note it was also a bad week last week for ageism. After a Japanese climber, Yuichiro Miura, age 80, became the oldest man ever to reach the top of Mount Everest. Miura recommended that other seniors eat good food and just get out of the house. It was noted that he reached the summit without the use of a ladder. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for watching TV drunk with the news that a Pennsylvania couple now faces assault charges after they allegedly got into a drunken fight over who would win American Idol. Yes, apparently Karen Elaine Harrelson and Gregory Stambaugh were watching the show's finale when they got into an alcohol-fueled argument that ended when they allegedly took turns stabbing each other with a kitchen knife. Harrelson and Stambaugh both told police that the other one started the fight. And I think, Mr. McMillan, this does give us an opportunity to finally get a chance to use TV party. TV party tonight. TV party tonight. TV party tonight. TV party tonight. We're gonna have a TV party tonight. All right. We're gonna have a TV party. All right. Tonight. We've got nothing better to do than watch TV. Yes, TV party. Just one of the magnificent selections of one of this correspondent's favorite soundtrack CDs. That of Repo Man. As far as I'm concerned, if you're going go to go out to see a midnight movie, you can just skip Rocky Horror Picture Show and go see either Idiocracy, Repo Man, or This Is Spinal Tap. And dear listener, if you and dear listener, if you have failed to see any of those three. We recommend you correct that immediately. All right, from the Only in America file, and we're indebted to the week for this too, is this. A Pennsylvania preschool has banned superhero play and monster games to calm its students, quote, dangerously overactive, unquote, imaginations. The school also advised parents to monitor the media their children consume. Said one outraged parent, my son came home and told me make-believe was not allowed at school anymore which we have to ask, what happens when some of these kids grow up to become Republicans? I've been sitting on this headline for a while, a couple weeks back. White House Benghazi email release prompts GOP to demand more. We had to laugh at Doonesbury talking about how the Republicans are trying to get everybody concerned about Benghazi. And now are are comparing Nixon, are now comparing Obama to Nixon. Prompting one scheming GOP to ask, well, can we still keep comparing him to Hitler and, and Stalin? Which the strategizer said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, by all means mix those in." which causes us to again quote from a letter to the B from last January from a Thomas Shepherd in Roseville, worth looking at again, said Mr. Shepard, referring to Benghazi, and how it pales before Iraq lies. If we're willing to crucify Secretary of State Hillary Clinton for Benghazi, we should be just as motivated to bring the Bush administration to task for its actions in Iraq. The scale of American lives lost in Iraq versus Benghazi should be sufficient to justify this investigation. I want to thank Gary Chu for sending us the latest episode of the Borowitz Report, which according to Andy Borowitz's headline has, Daryl Issa demands hearing into why no one listens to him. Dateline Washington, the House Oversight Committee Chairman, Representative Darrell Issa, Republican California, today called for hearings to investigate why no one has paid any attention to him in the weeks of hearings he's called for thus far. Issa told reporters on Capitol Hill, there's mounting evidence that no one listens to me, not even a little bit. The goal of these hearings is to find out why. He said he first became aware that people might not be listening to him when he read a recent poll indicating America's primary concerns were jobs and the economy. Said I say, anyone who's right mind would know the nation's number one priority right now is Benghazi talking points. The California congressman also said he intended to, quote, investigate the chain of events that have led to people changing the channel the moment they see my face, unquote. Adding, there's a consensus out there that I'm an odious, self-serving tool who uses congressional hearings to advance my own petty political agenda. I think it's important to know who created that impression. Anyway, Daryl Issa, by the way, do you remember, what, remember, remember the recall of Gray Davis? That was bankrolled by Daryl Issa, who wanted to make himself governor of California. And although he failed in that quest, he did give us the governator. Daryl Issa, if you're keeping score, is apparently the richest man in the United States Congress, having made hundreds of millions of dollars off car alarms. And I have to ask, dear listener, are you like me? When you hear a car alarm go off, is your first thought, I wish that thief would get this car out of here as soon as possible? Has anyone ever actually called the cops (laughs) and heard a car alarm go off? I don't think so. I think it may have never happened. And speaking of cars and legal authorities and how's that for a segue, we cannot resist a letter I heard about written by attorney Mark Nobili. We were having breakfast at the Roxy Deli in my neighborhood a few days back, and he mentioned something that he he wrote in the wake of getting a parking ticket. I asked him to send it to me. He did, and it's so good, I think I'm going to read it. Said Mark, to whom it may concern, this is addressed to the El Dorado County Sheriff's Department parking administrator, enclosed is a check of the amount of $32 as payment for my parking citation. For future reference, the CHP officer should be briefed on the law. There is no provision in the California Vehicle Code stating that it is illegal to park, quote, within 30 feet, unquote, of a sign stating, quote, no parking between signs, unquote. I was not parked between the signs. Rather, I was parked behind the last sign. A fact supported by the officer's handwritten description of of me being, quote, within 30 feet, unquote, of one of the signs rather than between them. It seems then the officer cited me for almost breaking the law. If this is a new legal principle, I have some explaining to do to a lot of law enforcement agencies. I almost broke a lot of laws today. This morning, I almost ran a red light. Thankfully, I stopped within 30 feet of it. I was within 30 feet of a pedestrian, so I guess I almost had a hit and run, since I just kept going along my merry way. I stopped at a stoplight, but was, unfortunately, within 30 feet of what had to have been a crack house. So, I'm guessing I almost broke some drug laws. I don't even want to think about what laws were almost broken when I pulled alongside the St. Francis Girls high school bus on 12th Street. Aside from the legal ramifications of this new almost rule, I need to do an inventory of several other almosts in my life. I certainly need to check on a few paternity issues, because I almost got a few girls pregnant in my 20s. Heck, I need to find a priest with a lot of free time just to hear about all the things I almost did. And finally, if I mail this check within 30 feet of a P.O. box, does it count as being paid? Probably not. Sincerely, Mark Nobili. And Mark did note that, sadly, the authorities did not see fit to respond to this letter, which, frankly, I have to give an A for effort to. All right, let's take a short break, and I think this would be a great opportunity to play a little more TV Party, Mr. McMillan. Everybody's going to hang out here tonight! All right! We'll pass out on the couch! All right! Tonight! we got nothing better to do than watch.